Recently in our lectionary texts, we've been hearing a number of Jesus's parables, those wonderful stories that he tells to illustrate the points of discipleship, to encourage the disciples not to lose heart, to meet sometimes questions with questions. Our Lord rarely ever comes right out with a plain answer. But today, we hear the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Some people, uh, as Jesus knew his audience, is what I'm trying to say, and uh, there were some who came to him who, as Luke tells us, uh, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And so he goes on to tell this story of a tax collector and a Pharisee. Now, we all know that the Pharisees were highly regarded, socially elite, connected people. They were uh, people of power, possibly of wealth. They lived and worked around the temple, and their job was to keep the faith, literally. They had to make sure that everything was kept uh, pure and was done just the right way. And so they got a lot of deference from the people around them. On the other hand, you have a tax collector. Now, the tax collector was also a Jew, but he would have been considered, uh, he would have been looked upon with contempt because he was considered sort of a sellout. He worked for the man, in other words, for the Roman Empire, the occupying Roman Empire. And so not only did he do that, he collected taxes, and no one likes to pay taxes then or now, but it is possible that he skimmed a little bit off the top for himself and so would have been reviled by the people around him. Now, it's also important to note where the two men meet. They meet at the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. And I think Jesus uses this example on purpose because the temple at Jerusalem was the holiest spot for all Jews all around the world. Now, even at the time of Jesus, there was the Jewish diaspora. Remember that there was the Babylonian captivity, there was the exile in Egypt. Uh, All of this led to uh, Jewish people living all around the world. Think about the time of the story of Pentecost, when scripture tells us devout Jews from all over the world were in Jerusalem for the Passover, to worship. And so when the Pentecost came and the disciples started speaking in the various tongues of the different people, each one heard in his own language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, etc., etc. So by that point in time, people were dispersed all over the world and spoke all different languages, but they were united by this one faith. And Hebrew was really not spoken much. It was almost like you can draw a, a, a correlation between Hebrew and the Jewish liturgy, the same as you would with Latin and perhaps the Roman Catholic liturgy. It was not the lingua franca. Franca. So they come to the temple, this holy, holy spot. And if you go there even today, of course, the temple is gone. The temple was destroyed by the Roman Empire. But what's left is the Temple Mount. And now it's even more complex and more holy because it's now claimed by three different religions. Of course, Christians don't have much of a presence there because 
right on that spot is the Dome of the Rock and also a mosque. And when we go on our Holy Land pilgrimage, this, of course, will be one of the major spots that we see. And Christians are welcome to come. However, you have to go in with a guide. Um, You can take pictures, but you cannot pray. If you close your eyes or fold your hands or make any sort of gesture, a prayerful gesture, you will be asked to leave. Uh, Don't touch anything. And especially, don't touch each other. For example, don't put your arm around your friend and try to get that selfie with the Dome of the Rock in the background. That is cause for expulsion as well. And the spot is so holy, in fact, that officially, according to the head rabbi of Jerusalem, that the Jews themselves are forbidden to go there. Forbidden because in, in their belief, they are atoning for their sins, and once their sins are atoned for, then the temple will be rebuilt and all will be well. But until that time, this is holy ground and it's off limits. Now, uh, that is not to say that Jewish people do not uh, enter there. In fact, a, a more recent development has been that with a police escort, uh, Jews can walk through. When we walked up in January, there were a group of youths, a Zionist, uh, who were sort of holding each other up on their shoulders and uh, sort of jumping around, making a, a, quite a fuss and singing songs to try to, to, uh, try to egg on the, the Muslims who are operating the place. They kept their cool, thank goodness. And this group was allowed in, but they had two police in the front, two police in the back, and they were able to go through. But like us, to not pray or really participate. We couldn't go into any of the buildings. It's just that holy. And so the, the Western wall that you always see, where people are praying, different faiths, predominantly Jewish though, that's not part of the temple. It's actually the retaining wall that held up the mount. Because over time, it was a mountain, and it went down on a grade, and they, they raised it up to a, a level plain. And so this great wall with these huge stones was the foundation of the temple, and the spot where people are praying is thought to be where above would have been the Holy of Holies. And so from our time all the way back to the time of Jesus, this is one of the holiest spots in the world. And this was where, and I hate to use the word transaction because it sounds a little, uh, a little off, but this is where the transaction with God really took place. People, of course, prayed and they had devotions elsewhere. They had uh, synagogues elsewhere, but the temple was the place where God dwelt. And so to this holy spot come two very different men, the Pharisee, and the tax collector. And the Pharisee goes to the temple and likes to make a big show of himself. Uh, He prays aloud, Lord God, I thank you that I'm not like these people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. Now, those are nice things to do and are commendable. But what he does is he tries to make, he tries to curry favor with God. And in doing that, also aggrandizing himself by showing it, showing off to everyone else around him. 
On the other hand, we have the tax collector, the man who nobody wants to see coming towards them, the man who would probably not be invited to the parties or dinners, beating his breast in a humble way, hanging his head, not even looking up, and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And so you have this image of these two very different men coming to this one central, sacred, holy site where it is believed that God dwelt. And one comes with a broken and contrite heart. The other comes puffed up with pride. And as we read in our uh, Old Testament reading today, God shows no partiality. In that reading from Sirach, do not offer him a bribe, for he will not accept it. And do not rely on a dishonest sacrifice, for the Lord is the judge, and with him there is no partiality. You see, the, tax, the, the Pharisee was offering that dishonest sacrifice. So what do we take away from this today? I think there are probably times in all of our lives when we have stood in the shoes of both the Pharisee and the tax collector. There are times when we get puffed up with pride and we want to rely on that pride or that accomplishment or that uh, level of status that we have in whatever strata we find ourselves to be in. There are other times when we are brought low and we realize what things are really important in life. And we realize that we must rely on our community and our God. We realize that in humility is where we find the truth. It's where our hearts and minds are opened, and it's where we come to be one with God because it was God himself who sent his son, the son of God, who humbled himself even to death on the cross. And so we have his great example of his sacrifice offered once and for all for us and his call to discipleship and his reminder to us that the first will be last and the last will be first. And those who wish to be great must be servant of all. And in fact, today we are, uh, after church, having a meeting of our outreach committee. And that is just one of the ways, one of the more obvious ways, that we serve our brothers and sisters in this world and that we reach out to them. We don't just sort of hand a paper bag and say, here you go. Um, I have nothing else to do with you. But we try to, to, to open our hearts and our minds and to see our brother Jesus Christ in their eyes looking back at us. And we hope that we show Christ to them because we are all one. We are, might be separated by our gender or our uh, income levels or where we live. All of those things are human constructs. Those are walls that we put up against each other. But we know that in fact, in truth, in spirit, and in love, we are one in Jesus Christ. And so let us approach each other and the throne of grace in all humility and in all faith and in love.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.